Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 14th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. I'd like to offer an apology to the Anti-Up Nation. Uh... <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, I, I talked about it a couple weeks on the show, or even last week, that I'm sort of exiled to the back office of my of my house because I have a contractor here. And so I was like, the first week I edited the show, and I was like, man, it's really hollow in that office. It's terrible. It sounds like I'm recording in a tin can. I was like, well, that's what happens when you're exiled to the the back the back room of you know Shea Casenza. So the next week, I'm like, man, it really does sound terrible. And then I realized that because I had moved my computer from that room to here, the settings on my headphone mic got reset to zero. So <laughs> I was actually talking into the computer mic for two weeks. This week, I realized it and fixed it. So now we're not doing that anymore. The audio should be back to normal no matter where I am. So just a little apology. I can't apologize for Scott's terrible audio because that's... Yeah, I was going to say well, I'm not in the sticks of Minnesota this week, so I'm at home. <laughs> so it should be a little better. It should but, be a little uh, better. should be clearer today. Although now we've had technical difficulties again here. Something's up with my internet, so now I'm on the hot spot on my phone. Oh, uh, I tell you. I really don't know how caveman recorded podcast back then, you know. I know. Just, it's like Fred so Flintstone had some sort of, like, swordfish that he pulled from the quarry and put it up <laughs> on the top of the roof of his stone house and then... I tell you, uh, did you say swordfish? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Out of the quarry? Because you know uh, he worked at the rock quarry, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like there was some prehistoric swordfish that looked like an antenna that he used on top of his house. I don't know. You you tell me. I'm I'm oh, struggling God. here to get through the show. So you got some good news for me? I hope. All right. Well, we turn to something that you do know something about because okay. obviously you don't know anything about swordfish. So. <laughs> Fish in a quarry, jeez. I mean, like, maybe Barney threw it there after he got it in bonus. That's what I'm grip. saying. He had, yeah, he had it for lunch, and then he, he threw it in there. <laughs> All right, it's a momentous uh, day here because uh, even though the show is technically September 14th, we're recording it on September 13th. And 20 years ago today, the only movie Chris Cassandra has ever seen in his life debuted in theaters. Um, and poker news writer and Annie Fabaster, Chad Holloway, shared some little known facts with us about the movie we love called Rounders. Yay, my favorite movie. My <laughs> some only of the movie. Stuff I, I knew and some of it I didn't. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, me so. too. I knew most of the stuff, but some of it I didn't. All right, well, let's, let's go through it here. Uh, the movie cost $12 million to make, but made less than $9 million at the opening weekend before ending its theatrical run two months later, grossing just less than $23 million. Well, you know what that now, does. That explains why they're not making a sequel. Well, that could be, yes. Um, uh, well, a couple of things about that. One... It had two months in the theater? No movie has two months in the theater anymore. I know. Like nothing out in 1998, right? Yeah. 
I mean, now I'm like, oh, I got to see that movie. And then like three days later, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see that movie. Oh, it's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's on TV. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But I knew it, though. I, I actually didn't know how little it cost to make. 12 million is a bargain even 20 years ago. Um, I, I did know that it, it didn't do as well at the box office as they thought. It became a cult favorite later on. And, right. and particularly became really popular after poker became, you know, back in the poker boom. So. Right. I knew some of that. I didn't know all of it. So, um, and I forgot about this next one. Matt Damon and Edward Norman both played the World Series of Poker main event that year. Damon was eliminated by Doyle Brunson, aces over kings. Yeah, I saw that because they had like a video, like a news report of it that they every once in a while they'll show on ESPN or something. And I that I did know. I saw that. So. Um, Worm was supposed to smoke, but avid non-smoker Edward Norton refused. Yep. Yep, I knew that. It's funny, if you would have asked me uh, before we did this, uh, did Worm smoke in the movie? Of course he did. It just seems like he should. Yeah. It seems like but he, now, you know, yeah, right. but you know, he's always throwing, I always think he's throwing out a cigarette butt, but it, it's a toothpick. He takes a toothpick, toothpick. out of his mouth and chucks it. it. Yeah. Yeah. There's that oral fixation. It's still, it works not only, um, you know, to keep you from smoking, but it makes other people think you're smoking. That's right. Even All the right. hot dog scene makes you think, oh, you throw out a cigarette, but no, you throw out the hot dog or whatever. <laughs> Uh, writers uh, David Levian and Brian Koppelman had co- had cameos in the Atlantic City poker scene. They're two of the players used to illustrate tells. That's always cool when you make a movie and you cast yourself in there. Yeah, and you put yourself in it. That's exactly what I'm going to do when I uh, <laughs> put my three-hour opus uh, on film. <laughs> uh, this next one, oh boy, this would have been tragic. Uh, Scream Queen of Campbell turned down the role of Joe played by Fetchin Gretchen Mole. Yeah, you'd have been very disappointed in that. Uh, and no disrespect to, to Neb Campbell. She's very gorgeous, but she is no fetching Gretchen. Sorry. Uh, and there's this whole like connection between Gretchen Mall and uh, uh, the, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it Famke Jansen? Famke? But there's like this huge connection between the two of them, too, and it, it's crazy that if, if it didn't work out that way, that wouldn't have been there. But they've got this whole connection. they got this kinetic connection, too. It's I've done some real serious research on the background of this movie, and that's uh, some crazy stuff. But, yeah, Nev Campbell, that would never have worked. Wouldn't have made sense, either, because it's kind of like you're playing the blonde versus the brunette, you know, the good yeah, versus I mean, the bad. It's like an edge to her that Fetching yeah. Gretchen have, right? So, yeah. I mean, it would work. It's more the, the, the docileness of... The Joe character is what worked, and yep. I don't know if I could have pulled that off as well as Gretchen. Yeah, the again. purity of her too, doing the right thing, taking the high road no matter what, no gambling, no nothing, that kind of thing. And yeah, wouldn't have worked. I'm so glad that did. They cast her right. Yeah, of course she did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still back from Minnesota. I, I, I'm still speaking Minnesotian. <laughs> Minnesotian. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, uh, in the original version of the script, Mike McDermott was going to make a move on Phil Helmuth in Atlantic City, big money game, not Johnny Chan. Oh, my God, I did not know this, and I'm super disappointed this didn't happen because I love Johnny Chan. I feel bad that uh, McDermott, uh, no, John, I didn't have it. <laughs> it would be such a more pleasurable movie for me if it was Phil Helmuth. Sorry, Phil, I don't remember. And, you know, he would have stood up and threw his chair and blah, 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 and it would have made sense, right? But yeah. not Johnny. And I always felt bad for Johnny in that. But I, I mean, I don't feel too bad for him because I'm sure he got a paycheck out of it, right? So. Yeah, and we got to ask him when he was on the show, too, about, you know, if he actually doesn't make the call or does make the call. And he's like, oh, absolutely, I'd make the call for one more bet. You know, of course I'd make the call. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it's all right. They would have 
corrected all the problems in the sequel, but they're not having the sequel. They say they're going to make it, but they're not going to make it. Well, you know, and I, and I forgot about this too. In the um, you know, it's just the world is just hard to keep up with, right? But uh, you know, when they were talking about that, it, it was it was coming soon. It's coming. It's a Harvey Weinstein movie, right? Yeah, so yeah. that was all. And then you know, who knows what's going on with that company now with yeah. the whole YouTube movement? So, gosh, we don't know whether this is going to happen or not. But I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, probably not. Would be interesting. Uh, all right, so I want to move on. I got a little secret thing that I put on the thing I didn't tell you about, and, and it's great because you you mentioned already that you've done extensive research on the movie. So I want to see how extensive your research was. But before we move on to that part, uh, what's your favorite scene? Um, I mean, I I I guess I like the the end when he says I can go on, you know, busting you up for the rest of the night when he gives away the tell and stuff. That's that's one of my favorite scenes, just because it's vindication. You like that, but I think I think probably my favorite scene is when they're doing the sort of montage of him going through the clubs and and uh, he says it's got enough, you know, for the for the high and the low and the Omaha scene with the the guys all enjoying the cigars and everything. That's probably my favorite scene. Remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. That's oh, okay. a good one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite scene. Although, I mean, like I said, the, the whole movie is just fantastic. But uh, well, it is. Yeah, you celebrate every scene. I know, yeah, like, but that that, it, it, it too, but. that scene when he's playing Omaha Eight and he and he scoops the pot and he make, uses their little uh, cigar lingo with them to to rub it in that he won a huge pot off him. That's like my favorite scene. Uh, I like the gin, always gin. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know it's it's like I'm probably the only one in the world that likes that scene because it's a poker movie, right? And there's like no poker there. It's just some old guy and Matt Damon sitting there at a bar. But I, I just like that kind of connection that the that um, Petrovsky had with uh, with Dermot. It was just a good meeting. I mean, a good discussion to have there. So I'm always yeah. going to remember that. Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing too is you know if you're if you're taking it from a, I mean, obviously you like it because it's alcohol involved. But I mean, if, <laughs> but it's gin. I don't if, do it's gin. gin. You don't do gin. For you, it'd be scotch, always scotch. But uh, I mean, if you're doing a human element of the movie, like you're trying to find the most human moment in it, it's. Uh, I think it might be the the scene when he tells him about the Johnny Chan scene, you know, when they're out there and he's like, he's like, I can't do it, you know, I'm a grinder, and you just you find out exactly why he just you want want the truck, he can take the truck, take a route, make some money, but on this I gotta, I gotta make you realize that you're, you know, you're hitting the bottom here. This is rock bottom. You're talking to me in a Greek bath, you know, <laughs> begging for money. You know, you've hit rock bottom. So, um, but you're going somewhere with this. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, from a um, a humor standpoint, my favorite scene was when they roll up to the uh, the Binghamton cops game, and and he's like, "A municipal game? Well, these guys are municipal workers." <laughs> Always going to love that. Cause it's funny because you know, as a commissioner, I used to describe myself as a municipal worker, and it's because of that scene, right? Because no one else really mentions that. But. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a municipal worker. <laughs> I, I like the the one where they're playing with the guys in the diner, and he's like, "Does he look like he's being by Jacks?" <laughs> great movie if you don't oh, like this movie awesome. you don't like movies yeah absolutely alright so here we go um, I'll put you on the spot uh, I know you hate it so that's why I love it right so but but you often brag about your knowledge of this movie and I know you can back it up because I, I'm not lying when I see you watch it every day I'm pretty sure it's like on repeat in the back of your house right so yeah. so you know things about this movie that probably even Dave and Brian don't know right maybe alright so here's the thing: is I I, I researched some questions, oh, and I'm going to give you 
10 quiz questions about this movie, and uh, I want to see how you do. I'm confident that you're going to do quite well. And even if you don't, I'm going to tweet that uh, you did better at this quiz. Than <laughs> Trump will retweet that, so you'll be famous by the end of the day, regardless, Terrific. right? So, Terrific. All right. All right. All right, so here we go. All right, ten questions, uh, and I didn't make them too hard. I couldn't make them really hard. I didn't make them too easy either, right? So go ahead and set the, set the line for me here on what you think you can accomplish here. Six. Six, all right. You going over, gonna, are you going over or under on it? I'm going to go over on the six. I have, I have faith in my buddy here, all right? All right. All right, here we go. First question. When Mike and Worm are working together, Mike says they'll fall under rhythm like who? Uh, Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier. One. Ding, 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 ding. All right. <laughs> yes. And he said that uh, Mike and Worm had not played together in a long time. They were able to quickly fall into rhythm together and clean out the secret handshake, boys. There's a teamwork to that of New York Knicks basketball legends Walt Clyde Frazier and Earl the Pearl Monroe. <laughs> Worm is based in New York City. Uh, that's Mike Damon. Matt Damon references the two Knicks legends. All awesome. right. Good job. Awesome. Steve. One for one. All right. I've got five more to go and I'll hit my goal. All right. Next one's pretty easy. What is Worm's real name? Uh, Les Murphy. Yeah, see? see? You get no faith in yourself. <laughs> you know, when you're stuck in the hospital and you're watching rounders uh, on a loop for two weeks or a week, I mean, you... Well, don't even say the hospital when you're home. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right, next one. Uh, think about this a little bit, all right? It could be tricky. I'm not trying to be tricky, but it could be. See, see how helpful I'm being to you? Right. All right, how much money does Worm win off the two Russians, Roman and Maurice? Uh, let's see. He cashes out for ten, but that's not the amount. He wins eight grand, I think. That is correct. Yes. Worm actually cashes out with ten thousand, but he started with two thousand and adds Roman and Maurice's eight thousand before he cashes out. Look at that! I, did, <laughs> I, I know I, uh, I foretold the trickiness there, but you still wiggled out of it. Nice. Yeah, you helped me along there. You helped me along. All a little right. Bit. All right. Uh, in the opening scene, when Matt Damon plays in his first poker game in the movie, how much does he buy in for? Thirty grand. That is correct. Three stacks three of high yeah. society. Yeah, three stacks of high society. Look at that. You're just gonna roll over this, man. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have like gone. You got for deep tracks on this one, but all right. Uh, this one I have no idea, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow down to you to get this right. Who does Mike quote as saying it's immoral to let a sucker keep his money? Uh, Canada Bill Jones. Oh my gosh, you even got the nickname. <laughs> One more, and you're already at your uh, over under. Oh, that's five? All right. So Canada Bill Jones was a three card Monty dealer and was known to use various tricks in order to cheat. When asked if he thought his cheating ways were immoral, he replied, It's immoral to let a sucker keep his money. <laughs> Obviously, the character Worm agreed with his motto. Oh, you're killing me. All right, this one's pretty easy. What kind of car does Mike's girlfriend have? Um, a Jeep. That is correct. So you're at six now. This is easy. Right, this, one, this next one, I don't think we've ever discussed. So uh, this might be the one that throws you off, but we'll okay. see. What game is Worm playing in prison with the other inmates? Uh, hearts. Oh! Because <laughs> he says, um, uh, you shot the moon, and then you go, yeah, but you had, the, you had the bitch that last hand, so it helped you and all that. So it's hearts. We know that the game is hearts because Worm shoots the moon, which is the term for taking all point tricks. Here we get our first hint that Worm doesn't always play fair. The other players suspect he's manipulating the deck. Ah, I'm sure he was, right? <laughs> All right, this one could be tricky, but I have faith you're going to get this one, too. What, what uh, year did the World Series of Poker that Mike was watching in his apartment take place? 88. Yep. That's the year I graduated high school. 
Oh, wow. Look at that. A little thing. Johnny Chan won both the 87 and 88 World Series of Poker and finished second to Phil Hellmuth in 1989. All right. So, well, that's seven. You're, you're perfect so far. <laughs> Come on, dude. You make it hard. <laughs> now, now, at this point, I, I, you know, you got to finish, right? So, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Mike says, if you can't spot the sucker in your first fill-in-the-blank at the table, you are the sucker. <sighs> Say it again. Uh, the way you the way you said it. Say it again. Okay, look, looking for a time frame here. Mike says, if you can't spot the sucker in your first blank at the table, you are the sucker. Oh, half hour. Yeah, right, all right. Yeah, okay. All right, last one. Let's see. This is the last but, one? That was nine? That was nine, yeah. Holy see. shit. I could have done 40, but I didn't want the show to go on four hours. I <laughs> could have done that. 40. Okay. Probably we got all 40, too. Jeez, you're sick. Absolutely sick. You gotta... <laughs> I have a problem, Scott. <laughs> I think you need to go back and watch Runner Runner a couple more times just to clear the deck. <clears throat> all right, final one. What Las Vegas casino is Mike thinking about while he pretends to be contemplating a call with his nines full of aces? Uh, he says, I'm thinking about... The... Does he say the Taj... Oh boy! Or is it the Mirage? Oh boy! Uh, Got him on the ropes. The Russians cut. The Russians uh, cut. Because I, you know what it is. I'm thinking about uh, Atlantic City in my mind. It, it just keeps saying a Taj in my head, but that's not right because he's not. Hmm. That's a good question. All right, I'm gonna say the Mirage. Oh my gosh! Perfect. <laughs> ten for ten. <laughs> Mike thinking to himself, I want to want him to think I'm pondering a call, but all I'm really thinking about is Vegas and the Mirage. Okay. Mike talks about wanting to go to the Mirage, but the real World Series poker was played at Binion's until 2005. Yeah, I, I always think about, uh, for some reason, because I always think about the Taj Mahal, and I'm like, there's, I'm making sure there's no Taj in Vegas before I answer back in 98, you know what I mean? And then I'm like, yeah, it's the Mirage. Okay. Wow, did I really get 10 for 10? Was that, I just felt like it was yeah, nine questions. And you barely even thought on a couple of them, so. All right. Very impressive. Actually, sick, but very impressive. You thought it was sick? <laughs> um, well, do you do you want me to give you some uh, rounder quiz questions? or I you know? Your head? No, I've only seen it four times. So. Oh, all right. Never mind then. Come on. You got to know uh, when he says, uh, let's say, in the poker game of life, women are the what? Uh, rake. There you go. Like, all right. So you got one. Yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> um, Oh, because that was a great line. Um, no, nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do any more to you. I just. I. I just. I can't believe. I, I, I have no illusions of being perfect on on these. Questions. No, no. I'm just off the top of my head, though. I'm. But I'm obviously, just... I read through 40 other questions and I winnowed down 10, so I learned a lot in the process. So yeah, yeah. Not as bad as you might think I might be. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm done. I, that was. That was fun, though. I'm surprised because I haven't watched it in a while. It's been on pretty. Decent what, what, yesterday? No, no, seriously, guy. I can't remember the last time I watched it now. Now you're making me want to watch it, though, in honor of the 20 years. I'll probably stream it tonight. Oh, man. It was on uh, when I was in uh, Reno. And I'm like, oh, oh. Rounders. I watched a little bit awesome. of it. Awesome. But... All right, well, I'm probably going to stream it. All right, there you go. Okay, any updates? The Any Up Poker Tour event that is part of the current Deep Stack Extravaganza 3 Series at the Venetian Las Vegas begins today. That's Thursday. The $600 buy-in no limit hold'em event has a 200k guarantee and starts players with 20,000 units in 40-minute levels. There will be three starting flights noon today, tomorrow, and Saturday, with day two at noon on Sunday. For more info, visit thevenetian.com. Our 2019 Antioch Poker Cruise schedule includes a 16-night Panama Canal crossing, an eight-night Southern Caribbean adventure, and two shorter weekend cruises. 
Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to Advanced Poker Training and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. Uh, and don't forget, you can actually still get on our October 29th sailing out of Tampa. Uh, we could check for rates for you. For more information, visit anyupcruises.com. I'm Eat- part of the Halloween costumes on there. That's right. You're already gonna- planned them on. That'd be pretty good. You already planned? So you can have them like every day or just for the Halloween right. day? We'll see how much I want to cram into a luggage because... Make sure you I'm probably bring... going to check a bag this time, but just because of the one, so I might as well put a couple other ones in there, right? Definitely bring the watermelon. I mean, that's that's all they serve on those ships is watermelon <laughs> at the bars. So. Okay, <laughs> each week... everybody eating me because they do serve a lot of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't step too close to the buffet. You might get eaten by some of those people. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com. If they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Ian in Melbourne. I've been listening for about three years now from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm an experienced player with a solid brick-and-mortar track record. Family and career have taken priority in the past 15 years, which I'm sure you can relate to. I've played as high as 510 cash and cashed my only WSOP tournament, which was a 3K buy-in. My significant bankroll from years ago was reinvested into family stuff like mortgage and diapers, and I stopped playing altogether. In the past three months, I've had the opportunity to venture into Crown Melbourne and reignite my former glories. With zero bankroll, I'm playing 1-2 Turbo on a limited time window. This is a $100 max buy-in game. I should crush it. I won over 50 k in my last year as a part-time player. Wow, how wrong am I? How can I mentally come back from these hands and play with my previous confidence. I'm broken, scared, expecting the worst, and playing defensively as a result. First hand, 7-7 seven, seven of the big blind. I flop a set on a deuce-7 jack rainbow board. I check, under the gun bets 20 bucks. mid-position player calls. I jam for about 90 all-in. Under the gun call uh, folds, and the middle position player snaps with deuce-deuce. Turn queen, river deuce. I get up and leave. Reminds me of my uh, set of tens over set of deuces at the bow, and the guy yeah. rivers a deuce. Oh no, turns a deuce, and then a nine of spades comes. A ten of spades comes. I win two hundred grand. No. Yeah. Following week, I raise under the gun with ace ace to twelve dollars. Cutoff raises to forty bucks. Everybody else folds. I raise all in. He calls. He has ace ace two. I lose to a four card flush. Next hand, I get queen queen under the gun plus one. I raise to twelve bucks. Middle position re raises twenty five dollars. Uh, middle position calls. Folds to me, and I jam all in. Get it. two calls, 10-10, and jack-9 suited. Flop comes, queen-10-8. Rainbow. Brick-brick, see you later. I reckon I played all three hands well, so how can I mentally come back from this quickly? I golf, and I believe the similarities between the mental games are similar. The similarities are similar. That's interesting. Uh, loose confidence <laughs> over a short putt or chip, and that uh, that's you done for the day. Give me tips. Give me hope. Give me platitudes. Just give me something. All right, hold on. I'm looking up platitudes right now. <laughs> all right, all right. I think I can do that. They're all over Facebook. You should know all about platitudes. <laughs> um, you know, this is a tough one because uh, we all are mental. How we respond to stuff mentally is all personal, right? Yeah. So, you know, I all I can tell Ian is that I agree with him. He made the right play in all three of those. Um, as much as we like to talk about poker being a game of skill there is an element of luck to it right so and luck caught up to him on these three crushing hands and they are crushing coming that quickly right 
Um, and I totally agree with him. You're right. You know, in golf, yep, you, you miss that short putt, and you just can't get it out of your mind, and it messes you up the rest of the day. Um, you know, having aces cracked by a four-card flush, and then queens uh, cracked by a jack-nine suited, that's tough to get past. But um, it would be different if he made mistakes in all these hands, right? Because yes. then you have something to work on, and that's you need to say, all right, I get it. I got unlucky there, but I also got uh, lucky to get in the spot before I got unlucky. Uh, but here, you know, you played well all of them. This is exactly how you should have played. Um, uh, the cruel fate cast down on you on three hands in a row, and that's that's what it is. So um, not not picking on you in here, but, you know, the best players will tell you that's how you become the best player is you're able to shake these things off and not let them affect you. Uh, it's easier said than done, obviously, because we've all been in the spot and it's just been difficult. But, um I, you know, there's nothing really you can do poker-wise here. This is just a mental thing. you got to find a way to be able to shake it off. Maybe listen to Taylor Swift over and over. I don't know. <laughs> that wouldn't do it. That'd make him kill himself. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say one word for Ian, or should I say Ian? That's why I call him Ian over there. I don't know. Um, one word, variance. That's all this is. Take confidence in the fact that you did everything pretty much right. I mean, I, I don't see how you could have done it any differently. The one thing that on some of these hands, you know, the shove all the time kind of thing is is tough. You know, if if you're if you're not shoving, if you're trying to sort of slow down a little bit, maybe they also are thinking on their end. But in the end, it seems like every one of these hands you're getting it all in anyway, except maybe maybe the ace-ace hand. Uh, if you just call and slow play it, or if you just call, you know, just maybe re-raise, and then you're probably going to get it in with the aces, but maybe you both see a flop of aces, then you see three spades, and you're like, oh, this guy could have a flush. Maybe you get away from it somehow. But really, no, you, you just you played them very well. Um even the queen queen hand, I mean that you know you could have been beaten by aces or kings there. When you see a raise and a re raise, you know it's it's queens sometimes are call hands. Um, but even then, you know you're still looking at probably maybe the jack nine comes in. I don't know, but that's unbelievable. Jack nine calls the shove. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. Be confident in the fact that not only did you play it right, but it was variance that beat you, not you. So there's nothing to there's nothing to be uh, trigger shy about you know i think i think you still go out there and play the same way um because you do that again in all those situations and it happens totally differently so this variance that's all there is i like that variance beats you not yourself i like that find find yourself in a situation in your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us at podcast and magazine.com we'll have hollywood casino toledo director of poker elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled comes from todd mcgee Says he was playing in a casino tournament, was on the button with ace-jack, and was leading the betting all-hand. On the turn, one player was all-in. On the river, I made a final bet, and the all-in player tapped the table and said, good game, and scurries off to the register window to re-enter. The other player insta-folded. I flipped over my cards to show jacks and sixes with an ace-kicker. The dealer reaches for the all-in player's cards. I believe he is going to pull them into the muck, but instead he flips them over to show pocket queens for queens and sixes with an ace-kicker. Immediately, players at the table call for the other player to return uh, and claim his victory. He runs back, sees that he's won the hand, and sits down. I asked the dealer why he turned over the player's cards when he had uh, left the table. He said it is a casino rule that all cards are displayed at showdown. This rule had been ignored throughout the tournament as players often tossed their cards into the muck at showdown, and none of the previous dealers had ever turned over anybody else's cards. Most of the rest of the table uh, starts arguing uh, with me that the number one rule is the card speak, 
that I lost and should stop complaining. I call the floor. The dealer explains what happens, and the floor backs up the dealer, quoting the rule that all active cards are to be displayed at showdown. I point out this had not been happening earlier and that the player had left the table. I feel the dealer should not have turned the guy's cards over and that I should have won what would have been a sizable pot. Am I wrong, or was I wronged? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> it's a tournament, too. All final yeah. hands must be shown in a tournament. Yeah. But it's final. The possibility of knocking somebody out or somebody quitting or whatever, it must be shown. Yeah, as I said, we're going to get Elliot the week off because this is an easy one. Uh, just as he said, that's just the rule. It's in place in part for collusion, but... Um, but yeah, all cards should be turned over, and um, so you were not wronged here. Uh, this is the proper ruling. Now, if, as you say, that that hadn't been happening the rest of the tournament, that is wrong. And uh, as players, we should be able, uh, we we should feel our responsibility to point that out, even if we're not in the hand. And that's difficult because then what happens if they turn one over and then somebody loses a pod and that guy is up? Why why do you have to me mention anything? But part of that is to make sure that the tournament's being run correctly because there might be a hand later on where you would benefit from the rules being properly um, applied. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, again, I, I don't want to pick on Todd here, but I'm like, it's also possible that you confuse all-in hands with non-all-in hands because non-all-in hands uh, players can mock. But if it's an all-in hand, they have to be displayed. So it, it's possible that during the rest of the tournament um, – yeah, it, it was happening exactly like he says here, and that's wrong. Um, or maybe it was a mix of it, or sometimes, or maybe it's just not understanding or not realizing the time when people are mucking that it's not all in. So, but whatever it is, um, the rule was applied correctly here, and it should be applied correctly in all situations. Yeah, when there's an all in, the dealer always says, "Okay, bring cards up," and they put them up like on TV, and they put them face up, face up for the cameras. But for the, the security cameras, not that. Whenever somebody's all in in a tournament, that's what they do. They turn them up. You don't just sit there and get to watch and then muck. Um, it's at showdown. If, if if it's not the end of someone's tournament, then they can muck. But they must be showed at showdown when a player's uh, life is on the line, tournament life. Hey, we got new O'Malley's move. This is always exciting. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're still playing $2, $3 at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. Our stack has ballooned to around $5.25. We are under the gun, and after the blinds post, we look down at the Jack of Spades, Jack of Clubs. We make our standard under-the-gun raise to $20. An MP calls. This is the same opponent from last episode who called our all-in on the turn with third pair. He's a solid player, but relies on his reads too much. He sits with 400. Remember, last week he put us on exactly ace-king after we raised from the small blind. Could he be doing this again here? The rest of the table folds, and with about $45 in the pot, the flop is the seven of diamonds, four of spades, deuce of hearts. This is a good flop for our jacks, so we're going to value bet here. We make it $30 to go. Our opponent wastes little time in calling. The pot is around 100, and the turn is the nine of diamonds. I like to keep up the value betting here, but I won't be entirely disappointed if he folds. We make it $50 to go, and once again, our opponent calls. With right around $200 in the pot, the river is the tray of clubs. So, it's to us. Are we making another bet here? 
check calling, check folding. What if we bet and get raised? What's the move? All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands for situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one po- poker training site. Ed Riddler's back in the house. He has two hands. We're going to do one this week, and then uh, we'll extend his fame one more week next week. Awesome. That? That's good. All right, he said, first off, I had to listen to the podcast a couple times to figure out what to email my submission to since Chris doesn't feel it's important to say. <laughs> Ah, uh, touche, Ed, touche. Uh, Ed, I love you. You're awesome. <laughs> uh, all right, he said, I have two hands uh, for you guys from when I could play online. I kept them, forgot all about them until I was looking through my iPad. I do remember my thought process throughout the hands after watching them, so I will try to be as detailed as possible. These hands were on Bovada, which was uh, uh, which was an ad hat. Uh, boy, I don't know. Remember Bovada? remember Bovada used to be, uh, what was Bodog? Bodog, that's right. Bodog to Bovada. I love the name Bogdan. Never played on it. Like I mean, either. Uh, um, all right, so I guess he said, which had no username, so it was impossible to know who you were playing at any given table. The perk of that was no one could keep notes on you as you traveled. The downside was you had no information with any tables you sat down. Well, actually, I don't remember that, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, two pennies, five pennies, no limit, hold them. <laughs> Uh, I bought in for uh, $3 uh, and ran it up to $3.72. Obvious brag. Jeez. So it's like a 2-5 game, and he bought in for 300 and now he's got $372 in front of him, right? That's very, pretty very much the same thing. Gotcha. All right. Um, he said, when this hand begins by playing uh, strictly... Oh, yeah. Um, so he, he he got up to 372 by playing strictly ABC poker for about 40 minutes. Uh, nine-handed. I'm in middle position one. Uh, the under the gun calls. Um, under the gun uh, plus one calls. And now it's on us again in middle position with the ace of diamonds, queen of clubs. Okay. Well, it's not a great hand. Just, I hope everybody realizes that. Scott folds it all the time. I do. So it's not a great hand. But if you're going to play it, I like to thin the field with these hands because these are the type of hands that are trap hands. So... If I'm going up against somebody, I want to make sure that I know that I'm being trapped or not because it just ace queen is just a uh, it's always a second best hand it feels like. So um I want to make I don't know what the standard raise would be at a 2 cent 5 cent game. I mean, if it's 15 $47. All right, so make it 47 to go. Um <laughs> but if it's fifth if it's like 15 cents and you got a couple of limpers, now you're looking at 25 cents. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's such a weird thing, but if I was playing 2-5, regular 2-5, you know, they usually make it 25 pre-flop. Now I've got two limpers, so 35, maybe 40, so maybe I make it 40 cents. Something like that. All right, yes, I do have a reputation for folding ace-queen, but that is only when it's been raised in front of me, because then it, then I know I'm in somewhat of peril, uh, particularly against an ace-king. Yeah. It hasn't been raised yet. We just have two limpers, so... Um, I'll definitely raise here and and take control of his hand. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on whatever that standard raise is. Chucking a couple more nickels as the uh, the uh, limpers, and uh, we'll, we'll play this out and see how it goes, and and hope uh, this queen doesn't kill me like it always does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our hero says I will sometimes just flat here, but I do not like playing ace queen off out of position. So in hopes of taking position, of the hand are raised to twenty seven cents. All right. Well, like I said, I don't know what's standard at these little tables, but, uh, you know, a lot of people make it 5x in a regular game, maybe 10x sometimes. So, you know, I don't know if 27 is going to be enough. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. It was well again, you're right. We don't know, but it well, and particularly I think in these 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 penny any games, um, you need to raise a little bit more because it doesn't mean much to them, right? So yeah. you got to get a little men- mental thing where people think they're playing with pennies when really you should be playing properly based on the limits, no matter what they are, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So generally, yeah, I think you got to bet a little bit more. So yeah, I, I would have gone at least forty on this, I think. Well, all right, let's see where that happens. So, uh, folds to the small blind who calls. Uh, big blind folds under the gun folds, and the other gun plus one calls. Uh, so we did thin the field a little bit. That's good. Um, three to the flop, and there is fifty-two cents in the pot after the rake. Um, he says the small blind has two sixty-nine left and has played a lot of hands, but usually bets the minimum unless he has a monster, then bets half the pot. Uh, under the gun plus one has four fifty-five left. And has played only a few hands to show down, but has won each of them. Hmm, interesting. Flop hmm. is the king of spades. Ten of hearts, deuce of clubs. Small blind bets a nickel. Under the gun plus one calls, and it's back to us. Well, here's the deal. One of the things when the, with these hands of the week is when they set up these people and they explain, like, you know, if they have a monster, they bet half the pot. You know, I mean, don't get too, you know, hung up on those things because... They use that against you later. That's the whole reason they do it. Is now you think, oh, when he wants to bluff you, he bets half the pot, and he gets the pot because you are convinced he has a monster. When he doesn't, so that stuff I don't really like to read too much into that. And a lot of times, these hands of the week too, they set you up, you know, make you think that way throughout the hand, so that you make the same decision they made instead of learning from it. So I'm not going to worry about that stuff. I'm going to say to myself here, I'm going to play the people and not the cards. Uh, even though I have a gut shot to Broadway and I have an over and I have a decent queen too, like if I just happen to pair it, maybe they didn't pair their king. But I, I like to to play hands where, hey, I had control of this hand. I'm the one that raised. Now you're betting into me. I'm going to teach you what betting is. And he bet five and got a call of five. So, I mean, I'm probably going to make it like 40 or 50 here and say, okay. Because you're really playing like you have aces anyway. You had a – you had a um, – a couple of limpers and you made a big raise and not huge but a raise and so if you're telling the story that you have aces you know now you make that bet and you say i'm gonna let you know that i have aces and if you're wrong you're semi-bluffing because you still have an overcard and you still have a gut shot to the to nuts so i like to make a big bet here i don't like to call and just make a hand because when broadway gets there they're gonna where are they gonna they're gonna leave now you know and plus you could have ace king here and now you have top pair top kicker so you need to follow through on a story you've told. Uh, and you're playing ABC poker up to this point, so that's what ABC would do. You have ace-king, you raise with ace-king, you hit ace-king, you bet ace-king. So you can't call him with this gut shot. You have to really just take control of his hand and get the free card on the turn when they say, oh, man, now they'll check to you if you don't get there on the turn, and then you get the river for free. So um, let's let's make a bet here of you know like 40 or so or 50 cents something significant to make them say oh he really does have it and if they fold you've taken down a pretty decent pot for a 2-5 game and if they don't fold you got outs and you've got probably a free card coming so let's do it let's make it like 40 or 50 I totally agree here I think um, I would the the nickel bet's a little tiny here for the 27 cents so it's kind of curious to me but um it, it kind of sounds to me like it's a probing bet. It's like, you know, hey, is this guy that raised has queens or jacks or something like that? And let's find out whether this king spooked him or not. Um, and it did spook us a little bit, but uh, the fact that we have the gut shot and um, we we raised preflop, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt of knowing that uh, the king did spook us. So 
that we raise. And you're right. One of the benefits of doing that is then, depending on how it goes, unless we get re-raised, is that we have the opportunity to take a free card if we feel like it on the turn. Or we have the opportunity to keep the betting up. So we keep all of our options open by raising here. So yeah. uh, definitely going to do that. So let's yeah. see what happens. Let's do it. Our hero decides to call. And uh, with 67 cents in the pot, the turn is the deuce of hearts. So our board now is king of spades, ten of hearts, deuce of clubs, deuce of hearts. Small blind bets a nickel again. On a gun plus one calls again. Well, now you get a call. I mean, because you've told, you've changed your story now. So, I mean, unless you're, because you're, even now, even now, if you had flopped a set of kings or something, and that's why you only called, because you're walking the dogs here, now you've got a boat, you still don't want to scare them off, so you might want to call again. So you, you're kind of telling the story of a set of kings, maybe, that got a boat, so you could sell it later, um, but you're really hoping to hit your gut shot, is what you're hoping now, maybe your ace. So now I'm going to call, because I didn't raise after the flop, so I am going to call. Okay. Um, and our hero decides to, to call, too. And he says, this is a very loose call and could be a leak in my game. I struggle sometimes to realize that with a paired board, even if I hit my hand, it might not be best. Well, I would say, you know, hey, it's only a nickel here, and the pot's pretty big now. So, um, you know, hopefully we do hit that uh, the jack that we need. I wouldn't go crazy if I hit that jack because the board is paired, but uh, I don't want to give up on this pot for a nickel at this point. Right. It seems unlikely that if somebody had pocket kings or pocket tens, they wouldn't have raised before it got to you pre-flop or re-raised you. You know what I mean? It just seems like definitely pocket kings are out the window. And if they had pocket tens, they'd probably raise you again or raise before it gets to you because one of the players here is... I think one of the under the gun guys left. I, I can't keep. Yeah. So yeah, if you have another gun guy, or even a small blind guy's in this hand too, you said everyone here. So if a small blind still in the hand, then he would have probably re-raised so that he could take the hand down pre-flop with ten ten or king king, or at least take control of the hand. He didn't. So I feel like we're not behind. I feel like if we get the straight, we're good. Um, but I feel like we have to call now because we didn't raise uh, post-flop. Yeah, I'm not so much uh, dismissing pocket tens on a small blind because that's a hand that sometimes I don't like to re-raise with at that point when it's been raised. I like to play a little sneaky. So that I would not be surprised if he turns that over. But uh, but there's all kinds of other hands out there that we uh, would have beat if their jack comes. Or even maybe our ace comes. Or maybe even a queen. Uh, probably not the queen. But um, but again, if it, it's only a nickel here. So, I mean, if, if we're being walked, uh, we're being walked successfully. But um they could probably walk us a little bit higher, too, right? Yeah, so. yeah, nickels, nothing. All right, with 82 cents in the pot, the river is the eight of clubs. So the final board is king of spades, ten of hearts, eight of clubs, uh, deuce of hearts, deuce of clubs. And both players check to us. All right, so we're the last to act, right? Yep. Yeah. I'll just check. <laughs> Maybe ace high wins. I mean, what am I, I'm just going to bluff to try to win? Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's not that much money in the pot, 82 cents. You know what I mean? It's Okay, so if you're thinking of it as dollars, it's $82, and you've put in very little, 40 30 So, you know, I, I just, I don't know, check and see if your ace-queen's good. I mean, if you want a bluff, you're going to make it a big bet then. Um, but then you're opening the betting up, too, to hope that this guy's hoping you're going to try to steal it, and then he's got the boat or whatever, or he's got a third deuce. Who knows? Maybe somebody had ace-deuce. Who knows? So I just check. Right, what the hell? And maybe you win with ace-queen. Yeah, what's interesting about this is I don't think any winning hand here would check, so part of me thinks that we should pet because no one's 
got anything. But at the same time, if they call, what can we beat at that point? So that's almost an argument not to. So, I mean, I guess I go back to the fact that we have showdown value here. Everybody slowed down. Um, seems to me we're only going to get called by a better hand here. So the bet is um, an unnecessary risk to make here. Um, this is yeah. why you take control of the hand. Because pocket sixes or pocket fours are hanging around because it's only a nickel every time. And you right. didn't take control of the hand and say, oh, this guy obviously has ace-king. This guy obviously has aces. This guy obviously has ace-ten. Something that clearly beats their middle, middling pair or whatever. You didn't do that. You didn't take control of the hand. And this is why you take control of hands. Because now in the end, now you're forced to check it down and watch the guy turn over 4-4. Four, four, or you're forced to make a bluff that you're not really comfortable making because you didn't take control of the hand after you took control of it pre-flop. So this is why we bet the hands. And at least in the field, so that the one guy remaining is probably remaining with something that is speculative that doesn't get there. Instead, now you're thinking maybe a baby pair could beat you at showdown. You're, now you're thinking, I have to bet. But I'm not going to bet. I'm just going to check. And I think that's what we could see turned over, right? If we bet here, somebody calls with, six, like you six. said, pocket sevens or not, something like that, yeah. uh, and then we lose. So let's, let's see our showdown value and, and hope we win here. So <clears throat> Let's do it. All right, our hero bets 60 cents. Um, the small blind folds, but the under the gun plus one goes all in. <laughs> oh, man. So you, you can only beat a bluff. So you have to play the hand over in your head. What hands would have called a raise preflop, missed that flop, but stuck around or bet with it short like that? Such a small bet. Because you said a small blind folded, right? Small blind is yeah. the one that bet the nickel. Right, and twice. Right. So the under the gun. Showing aggressive action other than us. Right. right. So the under the gun is the caller. Plus one was the callers. So if that person all, called, all the way. Yeah, all the With way. Raises. And, and now it. shoves. So he could be walking the dog and bluffing. But if he's bluffing, why so much? You know, why not just make it 180 or 120 to get some more money out of you? Um, so it could be a bluff. It could be that he was drawing or just didn't believe you the whole way and wanted to steal it on the end. Uh, sixty cents, and he goes all in for how much was it? Do you know? Uh, it's the undergun plus one started with um four fifty five. So basically, like three seventy or something. He's got his card, so it's dollars. Four dollars, yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not for making hero calls. If this is a real two five game and not two ten two cent five cent, I'm not checking. I'm not betting. I'm checking, and if if I do bet sixty bucks. And then somebody shoves for four hundred. I'm folding. I mean, to win, you know, what I mean, to win one forty. It's just uh, with nothing but air, ace high. He could be bluffing, and I just tap the table when he shows me, you know, rags or whatever. But I don't know if it's worth the call here. You can go over it in your head and say, okay, the guy was drawn to something, didn't get there. Now he's trying. To, but why did? Why wouldn't he have bet when he's had his chance to bet before? Why did he wait for us to bet and then bet? You know, it didn't make sense. So it, it sounds like he's really powerful, but then he's waiting. Make then at that point, then he's missing an opportunity to bet if we check behind. You know, make to get money. So it doesn't make sense that he bet now. So I don't know. You can make a hero call, but because it's only three dollars or whatever, you know. But in the real world, you're probably folding. You know, right. so that's the thing. You don't really learn from these penny games. You might learn the rhythms and stuff and people's behavior patterns and betting patterns, but. This is this is a tough call to make. Um, well, I, I would argue the penny these penny games you can make these big calls and you do learn you don't learn proper strategy but you get an idea. You, it's easier to get a look at your opponent's cards and figure out how they played, right? Yeah. 
assuming that you have all, hundreds of dollars and you're just playing this for that reason, right? So that that's the only reason I would say to make these loose calls and these low games is just to you know to really see a lot of hands and and see what people play. Um, but then it goes back to what you said too, is a two cent five cent game, so we don't really know how serious our opponents are playing it either. So maybe that that information that we're buying at a high price comparatively is is not worth it either, right? So, yeah. um, uh, oh boy, this is just you know. I mean, really, I'm looking at the. You know, if he is bluffing again, it goes back to the whole is our nothing better than his nothing, right? So, I mean, really, the only hand I can think of that would be bold enough to make this, who would stick in this hand and bold enough to make this bluff that we could beat would be ace-jack, right? I'm looking for the queen, we're looking for the jack. Right, or queen-jack, maybe, open-ended, going the oh, whole way. But then, it's, it's just cool. so bizarre yeah. that he just opens up the betting again after we, you know, he checks to us. Now, he, you don't check-raise this on the river. It doesn't make sense. If you have the nuts here, or you have a hand that's worth money, you bet now because you're going to miss your opportunity when we wrap behind. So why is he betting now? It's just bizarre. Well, yeah, and that does uh, indicate to me that it could be a bluff because this is, it, again, we're not looking to sophisticate play at two cent, five cent level, but, um, but, but our bet is out of character as well too here, right? You know, we, we've called these little five cent bets, and then all of a sudden we bet sixty on the river when a, when a card comes that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Um, so that's that's you know you smell blood in the water at that point, right? So it sounds like. We're stealing the pot, so we're going to re-steal the pot. I mean, so it does seem that way to me, which is fine. But if we call, we got to be able to beat it. So again, you know, you yeah. could have a pair just as easily doing this, and then we can't beat a pair of any kind, right? So yeah. we have to hope for one of those two hands that I that we mentioned, the, the ace jack or the queen jack. Um, it's just not worth it to me. Um, and I'm with you. I don't like making the hero calls in cash games. In tournaments, I think you have to make hero calls from time to time because of just the nature of tournaments. Cash games, every hand ends and you go right back to the nest. There, there's no urgency, right? So, I mean, you can't be a pushover, but I'm much less likely to make hero calls in cash games. You know, there's going to be a better spot at someplace else that's better for me to put my $3 or whatever is left here, three, three ten, three twenty, 310 in. The other thing, the other thing too, is uh, the sixty cent bet makes sense if these people are capable enough of understanding the story he was telling with pocket kings or pocket tens or even pocket, no pocket kings, pocket tens because the eight came on the river. So, um, you know, if he had pocket kings, he would have raised preflop the way he did. But then, if he had told the story that we had told, where we want to bet it and bet it, whatever. Now, if he's just calling, calling, it's because he flopped the world with the set of kings and let them catch up. So when he turns the boat, he's still just going to call because he doesn't want to lose them. And then when they both check to him, he's like, ah, i got to put a bet out there that will get them to think I'm bluffing and maybe they'll call it. So that's why he bets 60 and then they're, you know what I mean? So this guy just this guy didn't follow that or doesn't believe it. It's one or the other. So you have to make that decision. If he doesn't believe it, then maybe you call because he's probably got queen jack or some other ace jack or, you know, whatever, ace rag. But if you think that he has the capability of, of knowing what a story is and that your story makes sense with pocket kings, then then you call then you you know then you even then you know if he's known to doing that and he still raises then then you you can't call because I mean he knows that story is possible and yet he's still shoving on you so I, I don't know he's not gonna have quad deuces um, if we're being bluffed if we think we're being bluffed and you believe Scott's story then you call if if you believe that it's capable that this guy was just hoping for you to bet so he could raise. 
and you just let it go. It's one hand. But here's the thing. Like I said, even if we think he's bluffing us, we have to be able to beat to his beat bluff. Yeah. Well, we have yeah. the best hand that possible that beats bluffs. Well, no, I think you could be bluffing here with a pair. That's not a bluff. Yeah. He's got a hand. He's I got a made hand. That a this board. It's got two yeah. pair. Yeah, but I, I a bluff is nothing. You know what I mean? He's got something. He's got a pair. <laughs> if he's got if he's got any kind of pair, it's not a bluff. It's just a it's a bluff catcher, maybe. I don't know. But he's got a hand. <laughs> All right, gotcha. All right, All right. Well, I'm 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 folding, but something tells me we're ahead. And I'm an I'm an easy fold here. I'm gonna rethink how I play the river going for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Here it says after thinking for my entire time block, I cannot put him on a hand. I think back to previous hands with him, and at no point did he ever overbet a pot. He either bet for value or he called. I think he would play this way with a small pocket pair, possibly because there are no big bets. Could he play this way with suited connectors? Unlikely since the board doesn't make sense for that. Ace-King doesn't make sense since they never showed any kind of aggression in this hand. Uh, I can only beat a bluff, but that is also the only hand that makes sense to me. I have $20 in my account and can buy back in if I'm wrong, so I decide to call after using my time extension. He turns over the Ace of Spades, Tray of Clubs, clubs and I rake in a pot. For seven dollars and fifty-two cents. What? And he says, as a side note, this is why I miss online poker. I do not have the money to make this call to casino. Even if I feel I'm right and they're bluffing, they could always be bluffing with the best hand. And it makes me hesitant on how to proceed to equate this to a casino game. If I had two thousand dollar bankroll, I would. It would be easier for me to follow my reads. But since I scrimp uh, to save to get the three hundred dollar max buy-in when I play, uh, I make more laydowns than I should and show myself to be a much weaker player than I am uh, when I'm not worried about money so much. This isn't to say that I play above my means because I only take what I can afford to lose without hurting anything else. I like to play so much that when I go broke I, and cannot play, I'm saddened by the prospect of having to leave the table. In other words, I treat, treat cash games almost like a tournament. I bought them for this mountain. That's all I have. So if I go broke, I am broke. When I play my home game because many of my friends are like me, we play for 25 cent, 50 cent stakes, and I play really well because I know I have enough to buy back in. I wish online would come back. Yeah, I mean, it, that's the thing is if if you, you know, he's saying if he had a ton of money, he wouldn't worry about it. But I think if ever, everybody was Bill Gates, we wouldn't worry about it either. Um, so that's the ability of being a good player is still being able to put that aside even when the, the mortgage is on the line. You know, that's what these players, a lot of these players do for a living, and that's what they have to do. They just, they're tools of the trade, um, and maybe that can get you in trouble. I, this, this ace tray, I, I can't. For the life of me, this is why I don't like to play penny ante anymore. Because yeah. what what does an ace trade? What's first of all, what's an ace trade doing? Uh, calling and then calling your raise and then calling uh, a bet on the flop, even though it was five cents. And then this is why we bet the flop. This is why we bet out and raise the person on the flop because that ace trade has no right being in this hand. But then again, what is he thinking? Like betting after we bet sixty, even even if he's Right, and that he doesn't think we have something. He still only has Ace Trey, you know. It, right, just, but again, his cards are meaningless at that point. That's what I'm talking about. He sensed weakness uh, on us. He smelled blood in the water. He's like, "We, uh, our hero, is trying to steal the pot, and I'm not going to let him do it." And they have to have a decent hand to call here. And he misjudged us. How does we, he get to the river, though? How does he get to that river with Ace Trey? How about this? Nickel, nickel. That's how I got the river. Yeah, I guess. But in twenty-seven cents yeah. pre-flop, I would do it. But you know, you know, hey, I mean, I, think about this. So we uh, we raised pre-flop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the small blind donk bets in for a nickel, 
Um, all right, that could be a king. That could be a ten. That could be a deuce. I mean, probably more more like a, a king or a ten. So, all right, for a nickel, it's worth me hitting my ace and catching up, right? But he's got us, the and razor, behind nickel. him. He's got to know that we're supposed yeah, to bet there, and we didn't. That was the, that's the key. That's, that's the big weakness in this hand is we should have raised on the flop, like we mentioned. Because if we raise on the flop, then he's like, okay, well, even if I hit my ace, I'm no good. Yeah, that ace yeah. trade should have been out of there anyway. Like, once he but bet and knew we were behind him, that's the thing. It, it's it's not that you, know, you bet a nickel and you hope to hit an ace, but at that same time, you, know, you call a nickel, he knows we're behind him. We took control of the hand and raised preflop. And we're playing ABC poker, so he's got to know we have a hand that we could bet after this. You get out of there when you're in the middle. He's going to get whipsawed. You know, that's the whole point of... of yeah, but he didn't. That's the case. That's, that's no, the I understand. But, I mean, he should, so have been, he should not have called the first bet. After we him, now he feels more confident, right? So then it's a nickel again. So, right. all right, the guy didn't raise on the flop for a nickel. He's probably not going to fr- raise again on the turn. I might as well put another nickel in because yeah. we're looking at the pot again, 67 cents. A thinking player doesn't get past that flop. A, a, a player who not understands the game, if, if, if Ed didn't make the mistake... Then this guy wastes five bucks because Ed makes it forty or fifty to go. There's no way Ace Trey calls again. And if Ace Trey exactly. knew that Ed was taking control of hand playing ABC poker, he would have known that a bet was probably coming to raise the donk bet of a small blind. So he can't call the five bucks because he's trying to play proper poker, trying to play efficient poker, you know, quality poker. You fold there, and he doesn't. He calls. That's the thing. After that, yes, you're absolutely right because we played it very passively after that. So now he's getting in for a nickel, and we're probably going to do the same thing on the turn, so he might as well just call another nickel, hoping to hit his ace. And then when he checks on the end, he's like, you know, I don't believe you, because if you really had a hand, you would have raised uh, post-flop, and you didn't. So I don't believe you, so I'm going to make it four bucks to go, and of course, now we didn't believe him. There's some higher-level crap there. That's that's like (laughs) level four or level five at a 2-5 game at the end there, but I can't make that call. I just can't make that call. That's a great call, Ed. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Watch Rounders, and we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.